So I just want to uh, say a deep, heartfelt sense of thanks for um, the many volunteers that made this week happen. And uh, that is just a small snapshot of uh, the opportunity we had to touch many kids' lives throughout this week. And I just, uh, I can't say enough, not only their energy and effort and consistency, but also it's, you guys don't know what all goes on behind the scenes week in and week out, but uh, just to see uh, these brothers and sisters laboring back there to try to fix all these problems um, while we sit here comfortably just either getting frustrated that it's not fixed or just like, eh, that's okay. Um, I just am so thankful to God for uh, these precious people that serve week in and week out here at this church. And so this is a great group of people, and uh, they love Jesus, and as imperfect as we are, I am just thrilled and honored to be a pastor here, along with uh, four others or three others, and uh, it is such a gift to be here. So thank you guys for just being a precious church family guest. Thank you for bearing with us. And uh, we are now going to continue in our series on the Proverbs. So we are in uh, Proverbs. We're going to be going to chapter 15 of Proverbs today. Um, let me catch you up while you turn to the book of Proverbs. For those of you who are new to the Bible, if you're using a paper Bible, um, you should go to the middle, which is the Psalms, and then head right. Proverbs will be right after that. If you're using um, your phone, then touch Proverbs, go to 15, you'll be there. We're using the English Standard Version, so if you uh, have option of versions, then that might help you kind of follow along, but uh, we do believe God's Word. Um, the Bible is God's Word, and we want His Word to teach us this morning. And so we, um, we usually take books of the Bible and kind of plug through them, that's kind of how we roll. So we spent 18 weeks in, or 18, yeah, 18 weeks in the, uh, no, it was 18 months, in the book of Luke. And uh, then we went to the book of Ruth, and now we find ourselves in Proverbs. Now, Proverbs will get us through the summer. We did a sermon in chapter 1 and a sermon in chapter 2. Now, the way Proverbs lays out is chapters uh, 1 through 9 are kind of an intro. Chapters 10 through 29 kind of summarize many of the Proverbs of Solomon, and there's really no order to them in order that we might read each one and kind of chew on it, or as we said kind of like it's the hard candy of the word. You kind of suck on it and dwell on it and meditate on it. So what we're going to do is um, these uh, chapters have been summarized into like seven groupings. And uh, these groupings kind of help organize a little bit of these Proverbs. And so today we're going to deal with the grouping around our words. So today, the title of today is Watch Your Mouth, Okay. And we are going to read Proverbs 15, 1 to 4, and I will pray, and then we'll dive right in, okay? Proverbs 15, 1 to 4. The Word of God says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask for your Holy Spirit to move in a powerful mighty, gracious way. Comfort the faint-hearted, admonish the unruly, come alongside and uphold the weak. Father, we thank you that you are patient with us all. And so right now, move, I pray. Move for the glory of your name and the good of our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Words are powerful. They are. They can influence movements. When Martin Luther King Jr. began to speak this I Have a Dream speech, it created a movement around civil rights for African American individuals. When Lincoln said in the Civil War, if slavery isn't wrong, then nothing's wrong. There was this sense of a movement of people that followed this truth, all built upon these words. 
When the Bill of Rights were crafted by James Madison, it was clarifying the rights of individuals and setting boundaries around the governments to form an entire nation. Words are powerful. The movie industry is built upon the power of words. Crafting a story that would so catch you up, it transfers you into another world or another realm or somebody else's life. The words comfort you and they encourage you. They incite anger. They bring peace. Words matter. There is no greater grouping of words than the words we find right here. Words called God's words. It's what we call the Bible. And it is there in the unchanging authority that governs all of life. My words don't govern all of life. These words govern all of life. It's the unchanging authority that governs all of life where you find the book of Proverbs that speaks to our need to watch our words. I hear it all the time in my neighborhood, and I've said it before, Boy, you better watch your mouth. And what's that mean? What's that mean? It means you need to be careful what you say because there are consequences to what you say. You better watch your tongue. You better watch your language. We've got to keep a, it's just an odd phrase, like watch your mouth. Like how do these eyes see what this right here, right? So all of a sudden you also get this sense that is true. The Proverbs begin to speak to Poetic language, and so that's even why I chose this title. It speaks to an image that says you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful what comes out of your mouth. The Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 13, 1 to 3, but I'm just reading verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You've got life, you've got ruin, all because of what happens here. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself or herself out of trouble. And so according to the Proverbs, there's beauty in watching your words. Here's some of the beauty. Proverbs 18, 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So it's like this image of just water that refreshes and gives wisdom, and that's a wonderful thing to go after. The mouth of the righteous, Proverbs 10.31, brings forth wisdom. And Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's like a precious metal. But there's also danger. There's danger, not only beauty. There's danger in not being attentive to our words. Taking actually the very some of the very Proverbs that I've just stated and finishing the sentence. Many times the Proverbs will state, it's good if you do this, it's bad if you do this, all in one sentence. Now chew on it. There's danger in not being attentive to your words. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And then here's one that's unique. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's a precious metal. It's valuable. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, I would have expected it to say the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The tongue of the wicked is of little worth. It didn't say that. Why? Because the Proverbs begins to tell us where our words come from. Our words don't begin here. Our words begin here. They begin in the heart. Why the heart? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. The Proverbs go on to agree with that. When Proverbs 12, he says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of a fool proclaims, shouts out foolishness. 
You see that? The heart shouts out foolishness. Where do our words come from? They come from here. So all of a sudden now, our words reveal what's deep inside. It's not they made me do it. It's not they pushed me to this. Jesus says, actually in Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles you. For from within, out of the heart comes, and then he gives a massive list. So therein lies the struggle, friends. Our words matter. They matter for blessing or for ruin. What's unique about our words is that they don't reveal just a bad day or a bad person or a bad circumstance. They reveal something's going on in the heart. Therefore, therefore, the only hope for wisdom to know what to say when, the only hope to know when to speak and when to listen, the only hope for seeing our mouths become instruments of healing rather than tools for destruction is a heart that is captivated by God and secure in His love. I'll say it again. The only hope for seeing our mouths become instruments of healing rather than weapons for destruction is a heart that is captivated by God and secure in His love. That's why the bookends of the opening of Proverbs, chapter 1 to chapter 9, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all begins with where's your heart? Who's your heart captivated? Who's your first love? Who's your treasure? Who are you going to go after like none other? And who has come after you? When you did not want to go after him. Friends it begins with a seeking. We have talked a ton about wisdom. But I think we might need just a brief definition of what does it mean to go after wisdom. Wisdom according to the Proverbs. Is seeking God for all of life. Wisdom according to the Proverbs is that God is a part of all of life. And so I seek God to be a part of all of life. He's the centerpiece to every room in the house. He doesn't just have a bedroom that when you need Him, you'll go to the bedroom and ask Him for things. God is the centerpiece to every part of life. When you walk, when you sleep, when you eat, when you play, when you read, when you watch, when you work, when you rest, when you create, when you cook, when you dream... God is the anchor to all of it. It is for His fame, His glory, His praise. It is in His energy. It is by His love. God is in and through it all. That's what it means to seek wisdom. It is, I want God to be a part of everything. I don't want anything off limits. So where does right speech begin? It begins by seeking wisdom. But here's what's beautiful. What's beautiful is that wisdom is not just a bunch of good ideas. According to the Proverbs in chapter 30, wisdom is a person. The divine son of God that we should pursue. Wisdom is, well, he's the one we know as Jesus. We seek Jesus. Colossians says it's him we proclaim. It's Him we set our mind upon. It is Him we love. It is Him we treasure. It's Jesus. So, when we run after wisdom, we run after Jesus. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. When we get the cart before the horse, when we begin to, when we begin to work on doing before being, when we begin to say, well, I'm going to say things differently here. I'm going to do this here differently with my mouth. Before we stop and are still before God, before we rest at His feet and soak in His love, then you miss both gravity and intimacy. When you miss gravity, here's what we say. We say, oh... 
I'll just go ahead and say that because it's on my heart and it bothers me and I'm just going to let it out, but God will forgive me. Although there might be truth there, the heart behind that statement is betraying the holiness of God. That it's just no big deal for God to forgive. It is then a forgetting of the bloody cross because the only way that your horrible words and my misspeaking and horrible words can be forgiven is that God had to slaughter his only son. He had to put him on a cross and punish him like we should be punished. All of his wrath poured out upon him. So when we say, no big deal, we have lost the gravity of God. That's not how Christians should feel the freedom to talk. It is a huge deal that we sin. Huge. And yet, when we have this sense of gravity, what ends up, we end up saying is that God's commands and God's words, I tremble at the thought of going my own way and breaking His commands. I tremble at the thought that I wouldn't want to please Him with my whole life. I tremble at the thought that I would go against His word. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet for some of us, when you hear that, you act as if it's in antithesis to intimacy with God. Because if God is so holy that I need to tremble at going against His Word and not pleasing Him, then He must be distant and harsh and far off. And the cross says just the opposite. When you are struggling, when you could not, I sent my only Son to draw near God draws near. His fear is different than every other fear. It draws you in. The fear of the Lord is attractive. It brings you close. And so, for some of us, the greatest problem, it might be that we treat God too casually, but far more what I see from followers of Jesus, especially strugglers at this church, is that you struggle to be convinced of the security of God's love for you. You struggle to be convinced of His goodness all the time for you and how much He loves you. And I just thought about this. I was talking with another brother and we were just talking back and forth. As a dad, there's nothing more than I want than for my kids to be able to say, I know my dad loves me. And how it would break my heart if my children constantly after sacrifice and sacrifice and after coming alongside and loving and loving and they just say, I really don't know if you love me. You want to say like shot through the heart kind of moment like that hurts. I don't know of what else our God could do. To look you in the eye and say, I love you. He gave his only son. He had to look in the eyes of his son and turn his back. He had to kill him. That you might know how much you mean to him. That you might know you have the father's love for you. Oh friends, don't let gravity uproot intimacy. Our glorious and holy God says, I want you near and I want you near to me now. And I want you day after day after day, seek me. Do you know, I was reading through Colossians this week. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, it says this. Thank the Father, that's our God, who has qualified you. You couldn't qualify yourself. He qualified you in his love. To share in the inheritance with all the children of God. And He has delivered us. We couldn't deliver ourselves. He delivered us. 
from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us because we couldn't go from darkness to light apart from sheer mercy and intervention and a heart change. He transferred us to the kingdom of his loved son. It was on the back of his son that he communicates his love. And it's in his son that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before we can ever talk about what we do with this, we have to bow our heart at the feet of our Father and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me. Be secure there. Don't let any words from anyone else tell you differently. This word is replete with a God who loves you. Difficulty doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Discipline doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You are loved. You are loved. And so, friends, it is out of the security of his love that we talk about using words to bless and to heal. And here's a phrase I want you to think on. Because now... We are not watching our mouths for acceptance, but from acceptance. We are not watching our mouths for God's approval. We already have it in Christ. We are watching our mouths from approval. We are not watching what we say and seeking to bless others with our mouths for love. We are already loved, but now from love. We seek to bless. This is the mysterious beauty of being connected to Jesus. I was reading a book called Union with Christ this week by a man named Randy Wilborn. And in the book, he uses an illustration. I share it with you. I don't know if you've ever seen American Idol. American Idol TV show went on for tons of seasons. And I cannot imagine the pressure. One wrong note, one off day, one wrong move, cut on the chopping block, move on to the next person. But at the end of every season, when the winner is crowned, all the confetti is falling down and the crowds are cheering, the person is asked to sing one more song. And when they sing that one more song, They are no longer singing for acceptance, but from victory. And there's a sense of freedom. There's a sense of just singing at the top of their lungs because the outcome is already secure. And this is us. Except we're not in competition with anyone. And we will never be able to perform ourselves out of the hole. So it's a lot different for us. By trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins, He comes and lives inside of His people and dwells by His Holy Spirit with power. And He says, now you are united with me. Don't live for acceptance. Live from it. Because you already have my love. So, now... We look at our words and we say. We say that we need to do two things. We want to avoid the speech of fools. Using Proverbs language. And then we want to pursue words of wisdom. So out of security, out of being loved, out of the gravity of God, I want to please you and I want to live for your glory. Your glory is greater than anything else. Now we have to ask ourselves, how does that affect our mouths? In two ways. You avoid the speech of fools and you pursue wisdom. Now, let's start with the avoiding piece. Let's get the bad stuff out of the way. Now, before we dive in here, I want to encourage you. If your heart's anything like mine, about one or two Proverbs in, my heart was lacerated, okay? Here's what I encourage you with. Take out your phone, wherever you type notes, send an email to yourself, write on a scrap sheet of paper, whatever. One takeaway. 
One takeaway on what to avoid. One takeaway on what to pursue. Okay? You might write down 15 things. Circle one. Put the rest in your journal for a later day. Unless the Lord is saying something else, I want to guard you here. But when we say avoid the speech of fools, the Proverbs is very clear. Proverbs 18.7 A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. We must stop. This is how change happens. You have to become aware that your speech is toxic and then you've got to stop it. Stop speaking harshly. Stop hurting people with your words. Stop complaining. Stop just seeking what you want to hear and see what God wants you to hear. And so there's two ways that people's words kind of come. They can hurt us slowly over time to where we just feel kind of beaten down over time. Have you experienced that before? But there's also sometimes it's just one word and it just shoots you through and it changes the trajectory. I can't tell you how many people I have sat with in counseling moments where they can rehearse a sentence said by someone that has weighed heavy on their heart for years upon years upon years and they have not found healing from it. Words are powerful. Proverbs says this. This is a verse that I committed to memory long ago. I wish it completely changed how I talked, but I'm a work in progress, friends. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can say a phrase, and it is so painful, so hurtful, that it literally feels like Someone has been stabbed. And so when we avoid foolish speech, I think we need to understand, let's begin here. We need to avoid putting others down. Avoid putting others down. Proverbs 10, 18 says this, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. So when we begin to speak slander, that is tearing someone down with our mouths, we are participating in foolish speech. Here's another one, Proverbs eleven twelve. 12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. There's a sense of self-control with our words and there is a sense of foolishness when we belittle and put down. I tell you, in middle school, I had an art. It was a gift. It was the gift for outdoing someone with my mouth. They came at me, I could one-up them like that. And it was like a drug because when I would win an argument and I would put them down, all of a sudden the people around was like, oh, we got you, you know, just like, whoa. And then all of a sudden that was like, yeah, you know, it was a sense of acceptance in that moment. It didn't necessarily register that those people didn't like me in other times of my life. But in that moment, you know, it was all, it was everything. Well, I remember, I remember making fun of a girl in my seventh grade science class. I still remember her name. First and last. And I remember making fun of her to try to impress those who were around me. And it was the first time anybody had stood up for someone. And they said, that wasn't funny. And all of a sudden, I didn't get the accept. I'm telling you, that was 30 years ago. And I still remember it. I remember the image. I remember that moment when all of a sudden the belittling of someone else to pull myself up didn't pay off. And God used that moment to begin to make me ask some really hard questions. Why do I put down? What am I wanting 
And it was out of massive insecurity. Massive insecurity. It was like, newsflash, I in my own little mind, I am the standard of normal. You all who know me, you know that's not true. I'm not the standard of normal. And I would argue none of us in here are. But boy, we think we are. And so therefore, when we think we're the standard of normal, our mouths can then begin to look down on those who are not like us. Ephesians 4 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We must avoid putting down and we must pursue pouring out grace. And this is something that helped me. Proverbs 17.5 It tells us, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Do you see this? Mocking people and belittling people is not just against that person. It is against God. I'm insulting the maker of that precious person when I belittle them. Now, the Proverbs has a word for someone who does this. It's called a scoffer. And so if you're reading the Proverbs, you're going to see this word scoffer. And I don't use that word in everyday language. I don't know about you. I don't use it. I don't, hey, you scoffer. You know, I look at it like I got six heads. So what is a scoffer? A scoffer, Proverbs 21, it says this, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, the haughty man who acts with arrogant pride and does that with his or her mouth. And so we have characteristics of a scoffer. The scoffer puts others down, we just learned. The scoffer also does not want correction. The scoffer doesn't listen to wisdom. Also, the scoffer has many words. Many words lead to folly. Here's something. Proverbs 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. <laughs> I was like, ow. Proverbs 10.17-19 When words are many, Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And you're like, boom, I told you your sermon should be shorter. Told you. There it is right there. If you got a lot of words, all of a sudden sin's got to be somewhere around there, right? But whoever restrains his lips is wise. The characteristic of a scoffer is that they talk and talk and talk and they do not listen. Characteristics of a scoffer. Also, a scoffer runs towards quarreling rather than towards peace. Proverbs 22.10 Drive out a scoffer. If the scoffer is removed, you follow this? Drive out the scoffer and strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will stop. That means the scoffer is characterized by quarreling. A fool's lips walks into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. The scoffer loves to quarrel, loves to pick fights, loves to stir up. And that's why a scoffer is also quick-tempered. When you act like a scoffer, you are quick-tempered. And this is the, the verse, these are the verses that I read at the beginning of our time. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word actually creates an environment that stirs up and incites anger. If you have a gentle tongue, it says, it's like life is being breathed out. But when your tongue is filled with perverseness, it, you can break a spirit with a harsh tongue. So sometimes things don't go our way and we get angry. We've already heard that anger is not from outside. They did that to me. Anger is from inside. So when our mouth speaks anger, 
Yes, they might have influenced us. They might have tempted us. But when that angry word comes out, it's coming from right here. There's a neon sign that says, my heart just went sideways. Friends, when others fail you, and you will be failed, I would argue often. It does not give you license to turn from the afflicted person to the inflictor. When you are hurting, you do not get the license to now go at somebody with your mouth. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A soft answer turns away wrath. In parenting, yelling produces yellers. Sadly, in times I know this from experience. A gentle tongue, though, diffuses anger. An angry tongue invites others to anger. Hear me. Gentleness is the antithesis to harsh, but not truth. You can speak truth, you can be firm, but you can still be gentle and not harsh. You can still be love, loving and speak truth, but you can do that in a gentle way. One will exasperate your children, one will incite a culture of anger, the other diffuses it. I remember my wife and I went on an anniversary trip. Um, it was for, I think it was for our 15 year maybe, to Charleston. And when we went, God had convicted my heart that I was not being gentle with her. And as he convicted my heart, I began to pray about it and God gave me an image. An image that was of a flower. And God just helped me see that sometimes the harshness of how I talked with her was taking that precious flower and was stepping on it and doing that to it. And I just, the Lord was just like, you need to treat her as a gentle flower. And those words comforted her and encouraged her and she was so thankful and there was some change in me. A couple years later, we talked and she said, I think I need that gentle flower again. Where do you go? When now that we've just walked through, I would argue just the tip of the iceberg of how we mess up with our mouths. Where do you go when the heart feels like it just fell to the ankles because you and I are all guilty? Where do we go? The problem is we either run to self-righteousness or self-condemnation. And I want to set you free from both. Self-righteousness is you hear all these proverbs, you only, you only catalog the ones you're good at, and then you dismiss the ones you're bad at, and you're like, I am better in this area, and you think about all the people who are not as good as you at this. That's called self-righteousness. Proverbs speaks to it when it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21.31 If you ever have victory with your mouth, it is the victory of God in you. Keep your hands off His glory. That's how we battle self-righteousness. Any good from your mouth is a victory of God in your life. But how do we battle self-condemnation? How do you deal with it when you realize the image that God gave you to treat someone with gentleness, all of a sudden, you weren't perfect in that? Well, we return to where we were at the beginning. You return to the cross. A Savior who died for those very harsh words. 
A Savior who says you are accepted not because your words are gentle sometimes and you're not rejected because your words are harsh at other times. You are accepted by simple faith alone in my son Jesus. His righteousness covers you. That's what I stare at. Now confess your sin and turn and run towards blessing with your mouth. But know that you are loved. Friends, we speak rightly, we turn from wrong words, not for acceptance, but from acceptance. Not for love, but from love. We need to go towards what in the world are we going to run after? Avoid foolish speech, but pursue wisdom. Here's a statement that is probably counterintuitive to most of Christendom. Biblical change is more about who we pursue than what we avoid. If I begin to tell you, okay, you weren't gentle with your speech, you were too harsh, you're a complainer, you've been belittling, whatever one of those things you want to take from that list, that's where many of us believe change is. Stop the mess, start living rightly. The only problem is you miss Jesus. Stop doing this, start living rightly. Anybody can do that, at least for a little bit. Biblical change is not just looking backwards. Oh, stop doing this, stop doing this. Biblical change is called repentance. It's a flip. It's yes, I've got to stop doing this, but it's more about what are you running after? Biblical change is more about who we pursue than what we avoid. I articulated it's probably 80-20. 20% avoid, 80% what are you going to run after? That's why wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's running after Him. So pursue wise words. Where does that begin? It begins in the Bible. My words aren't the first thing to listen to. Your favorite preacher on a podcast is not the first thing to listen to. We listen to these words. It doesn't mean that my words might not be helpful or somebody else's words might not be helpful. This is the beginning place. God's words are what we pursue. His words don't have error. Every single person you listen to will not be completely balanced and will at some time have some type of error in it. You have to listen with discernment. The only way you get the discernment is to look at his words. There is not one person in here, including me, that is impressive. No one. And there's not one person in here that's infallible. So who are we going to pursue? We're going to pursue the Lord. We're going to abide in Him. We're going to have His Word wash over us because He's impressive. He's beautiful. He's radiant. His glory is enough. Who are we going to pursue? Colossians 3 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What if I told you? Under this stage, and I will, I will caution you, it's a wreck under here. <laughs> under this stage is a million dollars, and it is yours if you find it. Let's just say you're the only one in the room. So we take competition out the picture. What would you do? Oh, I have another appointment. No. You would stop everything and you would be on your hands and knees. You would be army crawling if your knees don't work very well. You would be looking for the million dollars. Psalm 19 says, more to be desired than gold, even fine gold and drippings from the honeycomb is the word of God. Better than the finest of foods or the greatest amount of money you could ever have is the word of God. So what if I tell you, okay, you get the million dollars, but here's the catch. You will have a life characterized by anger and depression. 
You will not be happy, but you will have the million dollars. Would you want it? Most people, some of you would want it because you didn't believe me. You would try your luck at it, right? You'd be like, eh, I don't believe him. I'm going to give it a whirl. But let's say you did believe me. Most of you are wanting the million dollars because it would make you what? Rich, but rich would make you what in your mind? Happy. That's exactly right. You ain't doing it to be miserable. You're doing it to be happy. Psalm 19 tells us, it's the law of the Lord that is perfect, reviving the soul. It's the testimony of the Lord that is sure, that makes wise the simple. And it's the precepts of the Lord that are right, and they rejoice the heart. I can't promise you riches, but I can promise you a peace that passes understanding, a remedy for the unsteadiness of the soul, hope in the midst of despair, and revival for the weary heart. Yes, we talked a lot about what to avoid. But what are we running after? Run after him. Can I tell you, I went through the entire book of Proverbs just studying for what the Proverbs say about the mouth. When I finished looking at the entire book and just cataloging, this is about the mouth, this is about the mouth, this is about the mouth, I literally was almost depressed. Because it was this mountain of failure after failure. And in the Proverbs, if you don't read it rightly, you miss Jesus altogether. I literally, the reason I quoted Colossians earlier is because I had to read Colossians to get me some Jesus. I was a personal wreck. And if we make biblical change about just avoiding bad things, you will never be able to grip hard enough. You will never be able to do enough to fix yourself. Instead, run Run after the glories of Jesus. And it begins not with your words, but with his. I will say a couple more things to conclude. You could stop there because pursuing wise words are pursuing God's words. But pursuing wise words, you do that through listening. Here's some verses, Proverbs 10. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. Whoever rejects reproof leads others astray. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen, 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 listen. This is what a follower of Jesus is characterized by. I tell you, when I sit in a counseling room, I do not have to convince people to question me as counselor. I don't have to convince people to do that. And you rightfully should not believe every word I say. You should try to process it and test it. That's right. The greatest convincing I do have to do is that the one who's in the room besides me might not have it all right. I don't have to convince people to question the counselor, but many times I do have to try to convince people to question themselves. And the proverb says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And then this is said twice in two different locations in the proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You can be fully convinced this is the right way and it's not. Here's a little principle for you. The less we seek wisdom, i.e. seek the face of God and His Word, the less confident we can be about what we think being right. The less confident we can be that we are right. That's why the Proverbs are filled with verses about seeking counsel and seeking wisdom. Pursue God's word. Pursue counsel. When you're making decisions, pursue wise counsel. When you are needing some biblical help and change, pursue counsel. Listen, listen, listen. And I want to encourage you. One of the greatest things we can do as a church family is to have the courage to share our story with people around us and give 
one another the privilege of listening, but to also ask them, don't just talk about yourself. Also ask them, is there a way I can pray for you? How are you doing? And give yourself the opportunity, the privilege, and the joy of listening. Place yourself as a learner. Oh, there's so much more. But I want to end with this. What do we pursue? We pursue words that heal. It is actually massively encouraging to me that I can speak things, and the more that my words accord with this, the greater likelihood it is I can actually bring healing through what I say. I can actually encourage. That's why the author of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage daily because your words can keep you from sin and bring healing to others. Proverbs 16, 24 Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 12, 17 and 18. I'll just do verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's one. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. You can say amen to that. But a good word can make him glad. Isn't that amazing? Proverbs 12, 25. We know that our anxiety can bring us so low. And sometimes it's just an encouraging word. That's why God has us getting together. That we would be under the waterfall of this word. And we would take the opportunity to speak a word to one another. That anxiety might find its remedy in a good word to the soul. So friends, I pray not for love but from love, not for acceptance but from acceptance, not for approval but from approval. You rest secure in the love of God for you. And yes, you avoid foolish speech, but more importantly, we pursue wisdom. We pursue the word of God. And we'll end with this as we do the Lord's Supper and as we sing. May our mouths be filled with praise. Psalm 92. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness every night. May we praise Him with our mouths. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you for being near to us. And as we take this Lord's Supper together, I just pray that we would take that one thing to avoid and we would take that one thing to pursue and that, God, we would not grip harder in and of itself, but we would lay it before you and we would ask for you to secure us in your love and to protect us from treating your commands casually and that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit that we might seek to be agents of healing in the lives of people. God, please, I saw this week in camp hundreds of people using their words to encourage and comfort. Oh God, may it be multiplied tens of thousands of times over. Thank you for this precious church. Thank you for loving each one of us. Thank you for making us a family. Help us, I pray, oh God, to watch our mouths, but more importantly, to watch you. 